Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Jew Podcast, where we dive deep into Torah and Judaism to uncover its hidden beauty. Come join us as we take a closer look and breathe new life into traditional Jewish ideas. And now, here's your host, Rabbi Moshe Siegel. Hello, and welcome to episode 34. I want to discuss today a very complex concept, but an extremely fundamental one. And that is to try and understand what we mean when we discuss God. What exactly is God? So the difficulty in this discussion stems from the fact that we don't really have the capability to describe and understand something that's completely outside of our world of experience. Even physical things. If it's not something you've experienced before, it's extremely hard to understand it based only on somebody else describing it. Imagine for a second you've never seen liquid before. You've only interacted with solids. And someone tries to explain to you what water is. It will be so difficult to wrap your head around it. What do you mean you can swirl it around in your glass? What do you mean you can enter inside of it? You can stick your hand into something that's already occupying a space? In a solid world, liquids are completely mystifying. It's almost impossible to understand. Now, we all listening to this have interacted with liquids before. So they're part of our world of experience. So we understand that. So let's take this one level deeper. Imagine something in our physical world, but something that doesn't have any physical properties. Let's take an emotion. It can be very difficult to describe an emotion to someone who's never experienced it. Let's take, for an example, love. Go ahead, feel free, pause this for a minute, take out a pen and paper, use your phone, and describe in a few sentences what love is so that you can explain it to somebody else who's never experienced it. When I've done this exercise in classes before, everyone writes down very different answers and it becomes clear pretty quickly that if you don't have any experiential knowledge of what love is, and the same would really apply to basically any emotion, it's almost impossible to gain that understanding from reading what others wrote about it. Now let's take this one more level deeper. Let's look at spirituality, something that's not necessarily in our world at all, beyond emotions. Go ask a Kabbalist, to describe something he experienced spiritually while in deep meditation. What do you think he would say? At best, he'll use parallels and examples in the physical world to try and express an idea that's somewhat similar but imprecise. And different Kabbalists will explain it differently based on their unique experiences. This is actually what the Gemara teaches us. It says, Two prophets will never have the exact same vision because in order for them to give over their vision, it's filtered through their world of experience. Trying to explain that to someone else who never had that is an almost impossible task. Now let's jump to God. If I ask you, is God physical or spiritual? Most people answer this question by saying God is spiritual. But that's not really true. God is neither. Spirituality like physicality, is a system also created by God. But God himself is not physical or spiritual. He is his own reality. He is God. People are physical. Angels are spiritual. But God is just God. So the same way trying to explain the emotion of love or a spiritual experience to someone who's never experienced it is so difficult, all the more so to try to understand what God is when we have no experiential knowledge of it is practically impossible. 
So with that in mind, how can we even begin to say anything about God? He's so entirely different and separate from all of us, so completely outside of our world of experience that it's not really possible. And the truth is that this is exactly what Kabbalah teaches us. It is absolutely impossible to even begin to understand one drop of what God really is, to understand one iota of God's essence. But even though that's true, there are still parts, some elements that we can still understand. What do I mean? Take for an example that you rent an Airbnb, but one of the original types in which someone actually lived there in that house and they moved out to rent it to you. So you've never met these people before. Maybe you've emailed back and forth a few times, but you don't really know anything about them. When you move into their house and look around, you can start to get a glimpse of their personality. You can see what books or magazines they have in their house. You can see what style of furnishings and decor they have. You can see what TV streaming services they're subscribed to, what their presets are. In the end, you won't recognize these people. You'll never know their true essence, but you can still learn a little about them. This same idea applies to God. We'll never understand his essence. We can't. But we can look at the clues he left behind, whether in nature or through the Torah, and we can understand certain parts about him. So what do we know about God? As we've mentioned before in this podcast, the name of something in biblical Hebrew always hints to its essence. The letters of Hebrew are like a genetic code of the words that they comprise, so the item actually reflects its name. Now, as you know, if you've read through the Torah or prayer services before, God seems to have many different names. And even though we believe in the complete unity of God, God is only one, so how can he have so many names? We use multiple names because each of these names represent a certain aspect of how we perceive God. From God's perspective, he's completely one. But we perceive him sometimes as merciful, sometimes as strict, etc. So where we see God as compassionate or as judging, a warrior or a lover, the Torah uses the appropriate name to help us understand and pick up on that. Now, the deeper sources teach us that there's one name that's completely different from all the other names. And that's what's called the Tetragrammaton, or the ineffable name of God, the Shem Havaya, which is spelled with a Yud, then a He, then a Vav, and finally a He. We see this unique aspect of it in that all the other names of God, aside of being used to refer to God in the Torah, they also have non-holy meanings, except for this one. And that's because the other names are only describing certain aspects of how we perceive God. So if we refer to God as Elohim, for example, that's because it corresponds to the element of judgment. It's logical, then, that we'll find this word Elohim used in general for judgment, because we're taking a concept that exists and applying it to God. But the special name of God, the Tetragrammaton, the Shem Havaya, is not a borrowed term. Rather, it's the name of essence, which is why we're not allowed to say it. And therefore, this word doesn't have any other usages in the Hebrew language. Its only definition is that it's God's name. So what does it mean, though? What can we learn about God from this name? The Kabbalists teach us that this word can be understood as a contraction of three other words. The words haya, hove, and yihyeh, which means was, is, and will be, seemingly referring to God's eternality. And if you go a step deeper, it's not just that he was, he is, and he will be, but they actually exist simultaneously within him. And if you take the word haya in Hebrew, 
and you place the word hove directly on top of it, and then add on top of that the word yihyeh, the three superimposed words will actually spell this name of God, referring to God existing completely beyond time. If you think about it, the reason for this is because time itself is actually a part of creation, and God, the Creator, obviously exists outside of creation. He existed before the concept of time existed, and he continues simultaneously to exist outside of it. The Vilna Gon actually explains that the very first word in the Torah, many of you may know, the first verse is, Bereshis bara Elohim, in the beginning God created. The Vilna Gon explains that first word, Bereshis, in the beginning, is actually referring to the creation of time itself. Now, from a secular perspective, what's fascinating is that science still has no explanation of the beginning of time. I'm going to quote an article from Space.com about the beginning of the Big Bang. Quote, So the very beginning of the universe remains pretty murky. Scientists think they can pick the story up at about 10 to the minus 36 seconds, one trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. At that point, they believe, the universe underwent an extremely brief and dramatic period of inflation. Scientists don't know what might have spurred inflation. That remains one of the key questions in Big Bang cosmology. End quote. If time was created going forward from the Big Bang, and we trace time backwards to the beginning, science gets stuck. Which makes sense with everything we're saying. Time, and really all of science, was a part of creation. There was no science before God created it. With this understanding of God's name, I think we can draw forth some basic Jewish understandings of God. Number one, he exists completely outside of time. He is the source of time, and he therefore always did and always will continue to exist completely independent of time. Number two, he is the creator of everything. In a deeper Kabbalistic sense, we would say creation exists within him, and he doesn't exist within creation. Like we mentioned, science struggles to explain the beginning of physicality because the laws of modern physics and science couldn't have worked during that time. So number two is that God is the source of all creation. And along with that, as its creator, God is completely aware of everything that happens within him, within creation as well. Lastly, number three, God is a perfect absolute singular reality. And this flows from the previous ones. Since time and space and physicality is what allows for distinction and separation, these are all parts of creation. Before this entire reality, as we know it existed, there was only one complete, perfect, unified being. Interestingly, if you look at science on this also, listen to this quote from Stephen Hawking, who despite explicitly denying the existence of a creator God, describes the beginning of the world as follows. At this time, referring to before the expansion of the Big Bang, all the matter in the universe would have been on top of itself. The density would have been infinite. It would have been what is called a singularity and is thought to have contained all the energy and space-time of the universe. Basically, one of the greatest atheistic scientists is saying that before the Big Bang, there was a single point of absolute unity that contained within it infinite creative energy, and they just don't know what that is. Because you're obviously not going to be able to measure God in a laboratory. So that's number three, that we understand that God is a completely unified, perfect, simple being, and he is unchanging 
even after creating the world. Now, I want to end with an idea from Rabbi Arya Kaplan in kind of an interesting perspective on how to think of God. As we mentioned in the beginning of this discussion, we really have absolutely no concept of what God really is. We often speak about how God loves us and he believes in us, and that's 100% true and important. And that naturally creates within us a certain thought system of perceiving God as a being, like we say, our Father in heaven. But the difficulty of imagining God as a being is that it complicates our understanding of how could a being be everywhere at the same time and nowhere, exist forever, have no form. So another suggested perspective or a way of looking at God, suggests Rabbi Kaplan, is to view God almost like an equation. Take one plus one equals two. It just does. One plus one just equals two. Where does it equal to? Everywhere. Can you point to a place where it equals two? No, it just is. It's a principle. In a certain sense, God is also like an equation. He's true everywhere like one plus one. Yet you can't point to him anywhere like one plus one. He just is. Now, for most of us, it doesn't seem so exciting to spend our lives trying to emulate and connect with an equation. So we go back to the other version of God as a being. And in truth, they're both incorrect. God is something so wholly different than anything we could possibly think of. And in the end, it's not even necessarily important to really understand who he is. What's important is that we understand what he wants us to know about himself and what he wants us to know about ourselves. And that is that he created the world and that we have the opportunity to partner with him in developing it through Torah and mitzvahs. I hope this was clear. We covered a lot of super deep ideas here. As always, I'd love to continue this conversation with anyone who's interested or you have any questions. So feel free to reach out to me at thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, have an awesome week. Thank you for listening to The Thinking Jew Podcast and for taking the time to study Torah and deepen your connection to Judaism. If you found value in today's episode, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or topic requests for Rabbi Moshe, please email thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com or visit thethinkingjew.com.